Begin reading with me in verse 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. This you know that all these in Asia have turned aside away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for all refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. I beg your indulgence with a little liberty as I begin this. The Roman legionnaire that has been assigned to watch the Apostle Paul has observed him day in, day out as he sits in this Roman prison. And he's noticed recently that this old man seems a little, little out of sorts, a little more than melancholy. He recalls the days in which he remembered the lilt of the song that he would sing, that Paul would sing. But he doesn't sing anymore. And he wonders, what's wrong? What's wrong with the old man? He just doesn't seem to be himself. And then one comes. And the Roman guard recognizes him. And welcomes him. And says, Onesiphorus, it's so good to see you. So good to see you again. He's not himself. He really needs to see you. I don't know what's wrong. But he's just not himself lately. I'm so glad you came. Because every time you've come, when you leave, he's a little bit brighter, a little more cheerful than before. And Onesiphorus stays a while. And when he leaves, sure enough, as the pattern follows, Paul has been lifted up. The smile is back on his face. The life is back in his eyes. That downward look that he had is no longer there. He's bright again. Don't know what Onesiphorus said to him. Given the heart of Paul and what we read about Onesiphorus, we could certainly imply, though not necessarily, we could certainly imply that they spent some time in prayer together. And they spent some time in the Word of God together. And they spent some time reminiscing about the work in Ephesus together. But whatever was said, 
Paul said of him, he oft refreshed me. He oft refreshed me. We all need, we all need that person or persons in our lives that do that for us. And we'll say some more about that as we develop the lesson. But first, let me give you a little history of what is behind all of this and how this really unfolds. Let me give you a little history about what takes place. As we close the book of Acts, you'll remember that Paul is basically under house arrest. He can come and go at will, or people can come and go at will, uh, and he has a lot of liberties there. And he soon hopes to be delivered. That's what we get from the closing of Luke's letter to Theophilus. And when he is delivered, he travels to the Isle of Crete. And while at Crete, he leaves Titus there. And he travels on to Ephesus, and while at Ephesus, he leaves Timothy there. And he travels on to Miletus, and Miletus, he leaves Trophimus, who has become sick. He leaves Trophimus there. And then he travels to Troas. And from Troas, he travels to Necropolis, hoping to winter there. But Necropolis, he's arrested once again. And Necropolis, having been arrested, he is now imprisoned. He writes this letter to the Apostle Paul. Having passed through Macedonia, coming to Necropolis, he now finds himself in prison, this time to appeal his case to Caesar. And he's never going to be released again. And so he writes these last two epistles to his right-hand man, his not just protege, but they have become best of friends. I read something this last week in preparation for one of the classes that the age difference between Paul and, and Timothy might have been, Paul might have been about 58 and Timothy about 33. We often think about Timothy a little younger than that. You know, when we think about David and Jonathan, we think about they're, they're right here together. Except Jonathan was probably about 42. And I mean, uh, yeah, Jonathan about 42 and David was probably about 16 to 18 years old. And so it wasn't necessarily a, an equality of best friends. It was much more of a mentor type of relationship. And that was the way it was with Paul and Timothy. But Timothy has gained a lot of confidence for Paul. And so he writes this letter. And as the letter opens, and as we see this, as we read in verse 15... There's some here who it seems that Paul would count on that have turned away. We don't know anything about these two men other than what is said here, Phygelus and Hermogenes. He said, this you know that in all Asia, all those in Asia have turned from me, among whom, you might put especially among whom, are Phygelus and Hermogenes. I take by that that Paul had, had, had some confidence in these men initially and thought he could depend upon them and thought they would be friends that would stand by him in this great time of trial. But like all Asia, they turned from him. 
But earlier in the chapter, in verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. As my forefathers did, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with your joy. So for whatever the heartbreak is in verse 15, there's something fond that Paul remembers in the first part of this about Timothy. And did you get that? He remembers him without ceasing night and day. Timothy is on his mind and he remembers the tears, the pathos that Timothy has for Paul. And then the reading shifts to verse 16 and says, also, I remember Onesiphorus. So it's not all bad. There's some who've turned away that Paul depended upon. But he said, I still fondly, with the greatest fondness of heart, remember you. And my mind also takes me back to, to Onesiphorus. In chapter 4, in verse 19, you have additionally, it says, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Now he also remembers Prisca, Priscilla, and Aquila. And once again, emphasizes the house of Onesiphorus. The two times this man is mentioned in Scripture. Well, the question comes then, if Onesiphorus is such a great fellow, what, what exactly did he do? This statement that is found in chapter 1, when it says, he, verse 16, he often refreshed me, is the same phraseology that is found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, when the Lord said, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come, I will give you rest. Onesiphorus was the kind of guy that when he came, he gave people rest. He was, had that kind of disposition about him that seemed to exude that when he was there, people found peace. When he was there, just like people can find peace from the weary labors when they come to the arms of Jesus. Onesiphorus comes, and he is a man that not only cheers someone up, but he's a man that enables people to have a sense of peace about them. And when you think about that, is there anything more needed? Is there anything more needed just among humanity, first of all, in the broader scope of humanity? But is there anything more needed than that kind of disposition, that kind of, of, of cheerfulness, that kind of restfulness in the presence of, of one another as God's people? It, it ought to be that, that in the presence of God's people, amidst all the hustle and bustle, the, the fighting, the head knocking, the, 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 the frenetic pace of, of life, that we impose upon ourselves that we among each other ought to have the kind of spirit that Onesiphorus has where we just put people at peace. And the thing I'm impressed about is this. When you, when you hear the name the Apostle Paul, What do you think of him? 
What comes to your mind when, when you think of, of the man? The man, Saul of Tarsus, now become Paul. What do you think about that man? Do you think about this man that is just, just strong, bold, courageous? Not quite, but 99.9% gristle. Straight backbone that would never, never, never give in to emotion, never give in to feeling, but a man who, who maintained the strictest of objectivity with people. Well, I have to tell you, there was a period of time in my life before I learned something different about this man. That's exactly what I thought about him. I thought he might have been a junior Elijah. You know, Elijah was 99.9% gristle. That's in 1 Jude chapter 5. Otherwise known as affectionately the book of Ricky. But Elijah was able to stand before those prophets of Baal. And yes... When it was necessary, Paul could be that. But that's not who he was. Just read 2 Corinthians, the first part of it. Just read Philippians, and you find this is a man who feels deeply about people. And the thing that impresses me about what is said here, about why this is needed, is that if the Apostle Paul needed this and he seemed to have the closest relationship with the Lord one could possibly have that walks on the face of this earth how about me and you how about me and you is there anyone more needed than the person who can turn hopelessness into hope despair into brightness, bring the light out of darkness into someone's life. When we have those dark days, that sometimes life under the sun just seems to bring the dark cloud over us and imposes upon us something lower than melancholy, we need that person that's come unto me, I will give you rest kind of person. Is there anyone more needed? And the other thing I would say about this, what he did is something that everybody can do. We can go down the list of things that some can do and others can't do. And the fact is, nobody can do everything. And nobody can do everything well that tries to do everything. But this is something every person can do, young or old. I don't remember where I read this story. I don't remember if it was in Paul Harvey's rest of the story, A Soup for the Soul, or, or, or exactly where it was I read this story. But this illustrates it's something all of us can do, even from the youngest. Single mother, two-year-old child, child sitting in the high chair, food flying everywhere, and finally... The straw that broke the camel's back comes when the avalanche of bills that she doesn't have the money to pay. Everything just seems to come crushing down upon her. And she lays her head down upon his tray of his high chair and just begins to cry. 
And the two-year-old takes his pacifier out and says, here, mommy. I remember a few years ago, when it was first diagnosed that my mother-in-law had dementia. Almost the very same time it was diagnosed that my mentally handicapped brother-in-law had pancreatic cancer. I don't understand pancreatic cancer, but that's been about five or six, maybe seven years now, and it hasn't grown. It was two centimeters, remains two centimeters. Whatever part it's in, it's in that's supposed to be in. That's one of the safest kind of things. I don't understand that. I was in Arkansas, and Jody called me. And you can imagine how upsetting that was. Why does it always happen when you're out of town, right? Well, in just a little bit, I had called Cody and Cam, and in just a little bit, these little apparatuses we call phones, iPhones that carry pictures, there was a picture sent of a little bitty boy named Easton walking on the driveway by our daughter-in-law that said, I just thought you could use this. You see, it's something everybody can do. And when she saw that picture of Easton, it did cheer her up a little bit. Listen, you don't have to have a budget for this. You don't have to have a PhD for this. Everybody can do this. Sometimes people come and they'll ask myself, one of the other elders, is, is there something I can do? Yes, I'm telling you here. Here's something you can do. You want to know something you can do? You can do this. Because it's always, it's always needed. It's always needed. It's not just something Paul needed. It is something always needed. And furthermore, there's no better way to spend one's life. We all at one time or the other fit both of these paradigms. We're either givers or takers. We either give refreshing or we take refreshing. We all at some time or the other are one or the other. But there's, there's no greater place, no greater service to give to others than to find that person who, if I depicted Paul right in my imagination in the beginning, we see that person and we see, we see the expression on their face. We can read their body language. And we know they just need a come unto me kind of moment with the Lord. Someone who we can off refresh. And Onesephorus comes to him and says to Paul, Paul, I don't want you to think your life has been without meaning and without purpose. I don't want you to forget all the people you, you have refreshed. All the people you, you have taught. All the people you, you have built up. I don't want you to think for one moment that because they have left you, others have left you. And yet Paul will say at the end of the book, I stand here all alone. All have left me. And what a more desolate Desolate feeling than to have that. 
But Onesiphorus comes on this occasion and sought him out. And sought him out. And often sought him out. This wasn't a one-time thing. I kind of get the feeling this was Onesiphorus' habit of life. This was something he didn't just do with Paul. This was something he did with a lot of people. And so that leaves me with two simple implications before we move forward. Number one, no one should ever stand alone. And the Lord kind of addresses that in Matthew chapter 25 when he talks about here's someone you gave some food, here's someone you gave drink, here's someone you gave clothes, and when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. No one should ever feel like they stand alone. And then second of all, everybody can do refreshment. Everybody can offer this. So that brings me to a second thing, and that is, how did Onesiphorus succeed in refreshing Paul? First of all, he, Onesiphorus, uh, Paul had to know when Onesiphorus found him, that number one, he appreciated him. He appreciated him. Appreciation, approval, affection, attention, those four things every individual needs. And he had to know that he was appreciated. The story is told by a fellow named George, George Stewart that he was uh, at a train depot back when that was the mode of transportation mainly. And there was this elderly woman that came, and the sun was just beating down this morning. This elderly woman came, and she asked, when's the next train? She was down in South Texas. She wanted to come to Waco. When's the next train? He said, it's not until 4 o'clock. She says, are you sure there's not an earlier one? No, ma'am, there's not. Not till 4 o'clock. And he said, would you like to come into my office and sit? So he led the elder lady into his air-conditioned office so she could sit waiting for the train. But as the time approached and the heat of the day approached, 101, 109 degrees outside, George, this, this man that was handling the people's luggage, he was taking the people's luggage, loading the luggage where it was supposed to be, putting it where it was supposed to be, and, 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 and you've seen it. You've seen when you travel, you've seen airports. I mean, people can get their colon in a kink in just a moment. They don't have to breathe much at all. And they just get out of sorts because something didn't happen right. And they're just absolutely sure that this clerk here who's making minimum wage, was in a conspiracy with the president of American Airlines for why their luggage is lost or why the plane's delayed. It's your fault, right? It's your fault. You did this to me. You are responsible for me being inconvenienced. And they're just giving this guy fits. And finally, George Stewart comes up to the fellow and says, Sir, I, I've been noticing what you've been doing. And I just want to tell you, I appreciate how you've handled all these people. Thank you. And the man stopped and said, I've been doing this for 16 years, and that's the first time anybody has stopped ever tell me thank you. Paul had to know that Onesiphorus appreciated him. Second of all, he had to know he had sympathy for him. The word compassion and sympathy are cousin words, they're first cousins. That word compassion is a compound word that means with, feeler. And the emphasis is not on the feeler part. The emphasis is on the with part. A with feeler. He's a with feeler. And Onesiphorus had to know that he was a with feeler. That he felt with Paul. And so he had to know the, the sympathy that Paul had for him. And so then the question comes for us then. And that is, what does it take to serve refreshment? What does it take to serve refreshment? Number one. It takes unselfishness. It takes unselfishness. We have to be willing 
to step outside of ourselves. You know, here it says, he offered refreshment Ephesus. Look in the back of your Bibles where you have that map that's there that gives Paul's journeys. And I want you to find Ephesus. And then I want you to find Rome. And my little Bible map in the back of my Bible I looked at, Ephesus is over here. And Rome is over here. And in between, there's a great body of water. Now the text says, he off refreshed me. That meant that Onesiphorus had to stop something he was doing that was in his best interest. To what? To get on a boat and to go over to Rome to see Paul. And it says, he off refreshed me. Onesiphorus went out of the way for Paul. It requires unselfishness. We're going to have to go out of our way to do this. Listen, it's easier to pull into our shell. I like the way D. Bowman called it one time, in our back cave. You know what that is? We, we, we go about our work. We hustle to our work. We're on 75. We fight it here. We fight it there. We fight traffic everywhere. We fight business everywhere. And when we come home, we close the door, lock the door, don't ring the doorbell. Now we have our video doorbells. We can see who's there. And we don't want anyone to dare destroy, disturb us because we're in our back cave. Leave me alone. This requires unselfishness. Second of all, second of all, it requires humility. It requires humility. When the Roman legionnaire told Paul, Paul, you have a visitor. Now keep in mind, where Paul is at in prison is not like Texas prisons. Where you can have air conditioning, hot and cold running water, and you can have a color TV to watch, and in the population part at least, you can have a recreational area, and you can have a common eating area that's there. And you can have interaction with people. That's not this Roman prison. This Roman prison is a dungeon. It's wet, it stinks, it smells. If, if mold bothers you, you're going to rot with mold there. And that's where Paul's at. And maybe, maybe when the Roman legionnaire told Paul, hey, Paul, you got a visitor, he thought, finally, finally, Peter's come. Finally, Peter came to see me. I, no, it's not Peter, Paul. Pardon the pun there. And it's not Mary either, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Might as well complete it, right? And it's not Luke. It's Onesiphorus. Who? Oh, man. Him again? How come Peter didn't come? You know who never gets their name in lights? You know who never gets their name up here? So-and-so's coming to hold a meeting? Onesiphorus. Why? Because the right hand never lets the left hand know what he's doing. Onesiphorus is unselfish. He's not out for the glory of what's going on. He just wants to serve somebody. He just wants to serve Paul. Because of what Paul had done for him. And so being an Onesiphorus may mean you or I, if we're doing that, don't get a lot of attention. You know, I'm thankful 
I know Jordan's thing that when people mention us in prayer and they say something about us, listen, Jordan and I get far too much attention for what little we do. And I tell you, the elders are thankful for that. Elders are thankful when, when, we, when we're mentioned in prayer. Listen, we don't take that for granted as, as your shepherds. Once again, we get far too much attention for what little we do. But the person never mentioned in prayer is the Onesephorus. And you know why? Because nobody knows he's doing it. And then third, he had to have courage. He had to have courage. Why? You can go visit someone in population. You can go to LSU Unit 1, death row, and you can visit someone in death row without being implicated, without being put with them. But to visit someone in Roman prison put you at risk of being sympathetic with them and you being imprisoned right beside them. And Onesephorus put his neck on the line. He put himself at risk to come a great distance to visit the Apostle Paul and Paul said, he off refreshed me. He put a smile on my face when I saw him. The load I bore and the imprisonment in which I was experiencing was a little lighter and a little brighter when Onesephorus came. And he had the courage to do it. He had the courage to do that. Onesephorus, mentioned twice in Scripture. Served a profound purpose for the Apostle Paul. And though nobody else may know what the Onesephorus among us are doing, I'm reminded of what Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10 says. God knows your work and your labor of love. And I want to close with this. Today is the last day that two Onesephorses will be with us as members of this church. Gary and Deb will be following Dennis and Brian up to Indiana. And these two people have served this church and served brethren here in ways nobody knows they've done because they never ask for the attention. The phone calls, the Bible studies, the finding someone who hurts and is in need, the someone who is down, the someone who is downcast, the someone suffering an addiction. They needed someone who could understand have been Gary and Deb. Hallelujah. And so, we love you. 
thank you for refreshing us. And when we think about you, we'll put a smile on our face. And just remember that now that you're leaving the promised land to go to the wilderness, there's a lot of people in the promised land that still love you. We'll miss you. Let's just all try to be an Onesephorus. I tell you what, if we can all be a Barnabas and all be an Onesephorus and occasionally a Paul, then we'll have a group of strong people. And if you can throw in alongside that a Dorcas, then we're going to have a lot of strong folks. Because what we realize is, it's just not about me. And that's what Onesephorus got. It wasn't just about me. Thank you for listening. And thank you for sharing this. We're going to have a word of prayer. And then Mike will have a song. And we dismissed our classes. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.